Hello Saints, Todd here with SafeguardYourSoul.com. Thank you so much for tuning in. We are so blessed to have these moments together in the Word of God. And remember, Saints, there's nothing, there's nothing, no thing happening on God's planet that is even remotely as important as the work of the gospel and feeding the sheep of Jesus Christ for whom he died to save so that they can grow in grace, they can be edified, they can be equipped for the work of the ministry according to the scriptures. And let me just guarantee you this one thing, by the grace of God, this outreach will continue to unapologetically endeavor to preach the whole of the word of God, regardless of who gets offended or not in Jesus name. And please remember that your prayers and support are vital to this operation. Thank you. You know, the way we preach and the things that we address from the scriptures, there's going to be people inevitably that say, Brother, you sound like cleaning your own life up is, you know, a work's salvation. And, you know, you're earning your way to God by cleaning yourself. Is that the truth? No, not at all. And yet we know that the initiating love of God and grace of God already went before us before we were ever even born, foreknowing that we'd be born after Adam and born in sin. And so it's not that we love God, but that he first loved us. And he sent his only begotten son into the world to be the propitiation for our sins, the atoning sacrifice. Hallelujah forevermore. Jesus Christ is our savior and our only salvation. First John chapter four, verse nine and 10 and verse 19. He first loved us. And yet what does it look like when God's really working in our lives? What does that look like? By the way, you know, what is it? Proverbs 20 verse nine is is it? Who can say that I have made my own heart clean? No, not us. In other words, that's what's inferred. Who can say I have made my heart clean? I am pure from my sin. None of us can boast of righteousness outside of Christ because all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags before a holy God who alone can provide our righteousness and clothe us with the robe of his righteousness, which was purchased by his own blood. Again, Proverbs 20, verse 9, who can say, who is it among us, can say that I have made my heart clean, I am pure from my sin, not even one of us. The Bible says it's not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Titus chapter 3, verses 5 through 7. Notice Job 9 verse 20. If I justify, speaking of self-righteousness, which is a trip to hell for sure, Paul said that he wanted to be found in the Lord and not having his own righteousness. What does that tell us? Having your own righteousness, trusting in yourself, is a guaranteed irrevocable trip to hell. Job 9 verse 20. If I justify myself, my own mouth shall condemn me. If I say I am perfect, it shall also prove me perverse. Amen. Any cleanliness of heart is the gift of God. And yet God does that in the life of the person who is truly following him. So we can know from the scriptures what it looks like when we're really following Jesus. And one of the things that's going to be evident in the life of the true remnant, small flock, Luke 12, 32, remnant of Christ is that they're going to be being progressively sanctified. No, sanctification 
does it save you. In fact, it means nothing unless you're justified. Justification must of necessity come first. And yet when God's working in you, both the will and the do of his good pleasure, something is going to be evident. First and foremost, to God and you. What is that going to look like? Well, what you're doing is you're not covering your sins, but you're confessing them. Check out Proverbs 28, verse 13. I want you to memorize that one. He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso or whosoever confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. Proverbs 28, 13. So our response to the working of God, who's perfecting that which concerns our lives if we're in Christ, and we're either listening or we're not, right? We're not working for, but we are working out. We're walking out our salvation with fear and trembling. That's going to be folks, they don't like this kind of message. They don't like the Bible, the biblical subject matter being addressed here and throughout Safeguard Your Soul. They don't want to deal with it, man. Look at Psalm 5511. Check this out. God shall, this is nothing new. There's no new thing under the sun. God shall hear and afflict them. That is the enemies of God afflict them. Even he, who are the enemies of God? Check this out. Even he that abideth of old, that's God, Selah. In other words, meditate on this. Because they have no changes. Man, dude, when you're in Christ and you're hearing the voice of God and he's working in your life because you have an abiding relationship with him, which Jesus said you must do if you're going to be saved. Otherwise, you're going to be cast into the fire in the end because you've hardened your heart. you got a deceitful heart and you're not following Jesus any longer. When you're born again and continuing abiding in him in that relationship, which God holds you responsible to do. Otherwise, you'll be like one of the five foolish virgins who upon whom the door will be shut and you will hear. Depart from me, you cursed, into everlasting fire. You see, friends, seeking God for a pure heart is an earmark characteristic of a true disciple of Jesus. Notice this, because they have no change. Let me read it again. Psalm 55, 19. God shall hear and afflict them, even he that abideth of old, Selah. Think about this. Meditate on it. Because, who's he going to afflict? The wicked, right? Because they have no changes. See, when you repent, there's change, man. Repent, John the Baptist said, and bring forth fruit, meat for repentance. In other words, bring forth fruit to prove you've truly repented. Now, when a person dies in their last breath, like the thief on the cross, they're justified, and so they're going to eternal glory. But if you're still on earth, God requires you to endure to the end in that relationship, which the thief on the cross did. It's just that his end came right after he was justified. But you're not going to remove that component of the gospel, folks. God expects you to have a relationship with him. And how can there possibly be a relationship Relationship between two parties with only one of those two participating. I don't understand why anybody in their right mind would think that. No, it's not that they don't want to think that. You see, what, what you got is people trying to escape personal responsibility. That underlies so much, friends, so much in what we see calling itself Christianity today with the eternal security mobsters who attack you viciously and call you a legalist and a work salvation person because you thoroughly read. You're seeking to thoroughly read the Bible and walk with Jesus according to the whole counsel of his word. They don't want anything to do with that personal responsibility. And that's what this boils down to. So they're going to attack the mere messenger. And friends, that's why it's so important that we study to show our own selves approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be shamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. 
Jesus talked about, he said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Notice how Jesus attaches seeing God, that's here on earth, in a relationship with him here on earth, which you won't be with him eternally unless you have a relationship on his stated terms here on earth as you respond to the initiating love of God that provided your salvation before you were even born. He foreordained it and desires it, but yet he won't force you. He didn't predestinate you to be in glory without any involvement of your own. That's why God could say, Jacob, have I loved and Esau, have I hated the Calvinist devils? And I believe they're absolutely unsaved. You can't be a Calvinist and be a Christian because you have spit in the face of a holy God and you don't believe his word. Therefore, you're not of God. John 8, 47. That's not our main topic today, but they will conveniently ignore the word foreknowledge or twist it as they do everything they touch. Foreknowledge. You see, God foreknew the decision people were going to make. And that's why he could say, Jacob, have I loved Esau? Have I hated? Why? Because he hated that rebellious heart that chose to do things in rebellion instead of obedience to him. Jesus said, Matthew 5, verse 8, blessed are who? Who's going to be blessed here and forever? Blessed are the, here it is, pure in heart, for they shall see God. There's a condition in order to have a pure heart. You must not only be born again and justified, but continue in your relationship. It's called abide in me, John 15. And if you don't, you're going to be cast into the fire of eternal damnation. John chapter 15, verse 6. You know, it truly is interesting to behold here in Psalm chapter 18. Let's look at this. Verse 25. Let's see. Therefore, verse 24, hath the Lord recompensed or repaid me according to my righteousness. In the context, it's not that he's making himself righteous, but rather that he is responding to the Lord and therefore receiving the gift of Christ's righteousness. Therefore, hath the Lord recompensed or repaid me according to my righteousness, according to the cleanness of my hands in his eyesight. And by the way, only God can clean your hands, but it takes your participation. We see that throughout scripture. There is no such thing as a one God chose you to be saved, and whether you like it or not, with your heels dug in, he's going to drag you to heaven. Man, listen, hell is full of people who God loved and ordained to be with him in eternal glory, but they chose not to love him back. Amen. How many marriages come together between two people where only one party loves the other party, and the remaining party does not love, reciprocate that love? That's not really a marriage, is it? No, that's an arrangement. That's not going to happen with the eternal bridegroom, the divine bridegroom, Jesus Christ. He's not going to bring with him a bride pertain that would include anyone that's not in love with him. If you're not in love with Jesus, all you have is a dead religion, man. That's all you got. You don't have a relationship. Well, brother, I go to church. See, that's why you talk about going to church, because that's really what you love yourself. And you want to do your little card punch every week and feel like you are earning your way or, you know, everything's all right because you're going to the church and following the circus conductor we call many, I don't, but many don't anymore, but call pastor, just going along with them. And you're not in the word yourself. You're not engaging in an intimate personal relationship with Jesus because you just don't love him. And so the sooner you come to that recognition and truth and get honest with it, the better things are going to be. And, you know, that'll set you up to say, hey, Lord, you know what? From this moment forward, I'm forgetting those things that are behind. Lord, I love you, Jesus. I want to know you. I want you to strip me of everything that is standing between you and I, oh God. 
I love you, Lord. Unite my heart to fear thy name. Break me to the core of my being, O God. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me, O God, and lead me in the way of everlasting, Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. So notice verse 25, Psalm 18. With the merciful, thou wilt show thyself merciful, and with the upright man, thou wilt show thyself upright. See, it sounds like God reciprocates people based on their response to his initiating love. With the pure, thou wilt show thyself pure. And with a forward, the wicked, thou wilt show thyself forward. It's a reflection type of a thing. And so that's an interesting thing to behold. In fact, I think we see here also on that note in 1 Samuel chapter 2 and verse 30. Let's take a look here. This is really interesting. For them, at the end of the verse, 1 Samuel 2, 30, for them that honor me, I will honor. Amen. That's not only here on earth where God puts his seal, that means his stamp, his authentication. That doesn't mean he's indelibly sealed into a relationship with Christ. That would mean he lost his own personal free will, which is a lie. It's interesting how the eternal security frauds pervert everything in the Bible. See, we're sealed unto the day of redemption. We can never leave Jesus. Well, you know, since when is an envelope which is sealed not able to be broken open? I'm sorry. Now, that's just an everyday example. But here's a biblical example. You know, the same word for sealed in Ephesians, I think it's 1.13 and 4.30, where it says we're sealed under the day of redemption. That's Bible. But what does that really mean in light of all of Scripture? It's interesting how people redefine words and terms from the Bible in order to fit their own unrepentant, darkened hearts because they refuse to truly submit to the Lord and say, Jesus, here I am. Change me, break me, purify my life, O God. I want to be reflection of your purity and holiness and love in this life. It's interesting. So the word seal in the book of Ephesians is the same Greek word as we find in Matthew 27, 66 that says that Jesus's tomb was sealed. But man, we know that tomb was unsealed. Otherwise, we wouldn't have the resurrection of the Son of God and would not be saved well, now, would we? So you can look up the word seal. Just put it in the search box on safeguardyoursoul.com. Just put it in there. S-E-A-L is a couple, at least a couple of posts and podcasts on that. That's going to blow your wig off right there, man. Start waking people up to the great deception we see in that which claims to be representing Christ today with the whole priesthood of evangelical eternal security snakes that are lying to people just like the devil did to the man and the woman in the Garden of Eden, telling them that they would not surely die because they were right with God and they were, after all, once saved, always saved, right? Once in grace, always in grace. Not true. That didn't change the fact that God is still holy, 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 and he's a just God, and he will deal justly with everybody who transgresses against him after being his, just like he did with Lucifer and a third of the angels, just like he did with Adam and Eve who disobeyed him and so many others throughout scriptural history, which is the book of Jude is dedicated to us giving a sampling of those who departed from him. We also see in Romans 11, 
20 through 22, that God's own covenant people, when they rebelled, he cut them off. And he warns us right there in the New Testament, Romans 11, 20 through 23, that he's going to cut you off, Gentile believer. Even though you're in fellowship with him now, he's going to cut you off if you rebel as his covenant people, the Jews did. God's definition of sin did not change because he gave us the grace of God and salvation through Christ. Did that not change his definition of sin? That gives you the power to overcome sin, but it's not going to happen if you're not abiding in him in a relationship. 1 Samuel 2.30, which is a choice that you will have to make every day for the rest of your life. But now the Lord saith, be it far from me, for them that honor me, I will honor. Who's God going to honor now and forever? Those that honor him. And they that despise me shall be lightly esteemed. Behold, the days come that I will cut off thine arm. And there's that term cut off. Wow. Look that up in the Bible. As usual, the real Bible for the English speaking people, that would be the King James Bible. Look it up. Cut off. He uses that in the verse I was just referring to out of Romans 11, 20 through 22. Behold, the days come that I will cut off thine arm and the arm of thy father's house that there shall be not be an old man in thine house. Now, we're talking about the pure in heart and how they and they alone will see God. Notice what Jesus taught about coming to the light. This is really interesting here. Coming to the light. That isn't just a one-time coming to the light. That's a continual coming to the light. Perhaps that's the main theme, one of them, of this message here. John 3, 19 through 21. Notice what the Savior himself says. And this is the condemnation. Now, this was right after he gave us. John 3, 16, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And in verse 18, he that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten son of God. And notice verse 19, where we pick up in this passage, and this This is the condemnation that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. You see, for everyone, see, that's a given there. There are those who love darkness rather than light. And even after you get saved, there's a work God is going to do in you. He loves you too much to keep you the way you are. He's going to sanctify you and you're either going to listen to him and obey him in that sanctification after you've been justified, after justification, or you're not. And if you don't, you're going to be a bastard, according to Hebrews chapter 12. That's what it says in the Bible. If you're not going to receive the correction of the Lord like a good father does with his children, then you're going to be an illegitimate son. You're going to be a son without a father. You're going to be separated from him. And that will be eternally if you don't repent. You know, the Lord whom the Lord, it was a man of the Pharisees. Whom the Lord loveth. Wow, that was an accident. But it was Bible, so I guess we'll leave it in there. I'm using several sources as I bounce between scriptures. Sorry about that. All right. I don't know how well you could hear that, but that was Alexander Scorby, I believe it was, narrating the Bible. What a beautiful thing. How many great resources that we have to fill our hearts with the Word of God these days. What a blessing. God knew that iniquity was going to be abounding, and so he provided so much access to his Word. And those that love him do access his Word because they love him. And they stay nourished up on the words of eternal life. Notice this in Hebrews 12, 
beginning in verse 5, And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. Remember that as a kid when your daddy would beat you and, you know, you'd get this idea that you're going to leave and run away. And some of you listening did it to some extent. Oh, the other, you were a runaway kid. But, you know, what did that get you? You out alone with nothing. Certainly didn't have your mom, dad, and family there, right? Because you despised the chastening of your daddy. I know there's some abuse that goes on that should very well warrant some child running for help. But I'm just talking about people that are chastened and spanked by their dad because he loves them. And they get this idea, I'm going to run away. Well, you know, where are you going to go, right? God has your best interest in mind. It's a perfect heavenly father. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. I don't know about you, but God has been spanking me, rebuking and chastening me because he loves me for a long time now. And as many of you know better than I do, we finally submit and say, Lord, not my will, Jesus, but yours be done. Have your way in my life, O God. It's always going to go better when we do that. And we submit to it. And we say with John the Baptist, Lord, you must increase and I must decrease. Have your way in me, Lord. Verse 6, for whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. See, if you're being chastened of the Lord, it proves his love for you. Jesus said that if we find ourselves lukewarm or in sin, we must repent and submit to the chastening hand of God. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens. That's over there in uh, Revelation chapter 3 and verse 19. I don't want to be remiss and miss that one. That's amazing verse there. 319, as many as I love, Jesus said, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. And may God bless each of us with a heart after him, truly. And what we'll do is we're going to be zealous to, and, and, and repent. We're just going to say, okay, Lord, you said that's a sin. I did it. And I ask you to cleanse my heart and change my life, O God. If you endure chastening, well, verse 6 here, Hebrews 12, for whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth and scourgeth every son without exception, every son whom he receiveth. Everybody that's justified is going to be scourged. They're going to be sanctified. Sometimes that's going to be with chastening, child training and rebuke, cleansing. Uh, it's kind of like a splinter you get in your finger as a kid. You know, remember that, guys? And you didn't want or a nail you stepped on, you know, and it's stuck in your foot. That's disgusting. But remember that you're screaming because it hurts and you don't want anybody to touch it. But your daddy knows best, doesn't he? And he's going to pull that splinter with a pair of tweezers or whatever stuck in you. You know, we all got those wooden splinters, right? You didn't have much of a childhood if you didn't get a splinter once in a while. And as soon as daddy pulls it out of your finger or your foot, you go, oh, thanks, dad. They put a, you know, pour some hydrogen peroxide or remember the mercuricone. I think that's how you pronounce it. That red stuff. And it poured on there and then put a bandaid on it. Man, you up and running, right? Amen. That's what happens when we submit to God and let him pull things out of our lives that don't belong. And we go, wow, I feel better, Lord. Jesus, you are so good. Thank you for doing that for me, Lord. You love me so much. You know, that's a revelation we see right there of how much God loves us. He wants to get rid of all the stuff that stands before or between us and him. So we have that pure relationship with him. So speaking of and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth God. You know, Jesus said when you bear fruit, by the way, if you're bearing a little bit of fruit, you know what that proves? That simply proves that you're his child because you got saved and now he's purging you and are producing fruit in your life. And then Jesus said he's going to purge you. Why? So you bring forth more fruit. Wow. Got a little joy? Well, let God do a little more work and you're going to have a lot of joy. Hallelujah. The joy of the Lord is going to be your strength. And may that joy increase in you and I as we submit to the scourging of the Lord. You know, John 
15, man, there's a lot to learn in John 15 about how God works in our lives. He's going to purge you or scourge you, we could say, in other scripture. So you bring forth more fruit. So if you're feeling like, man, I'm going through some fire. Well, God's burning off some stuff that he is going to set you free in that thing. You know, the, the three Hebrew children, remember that? They were thrown into fire for standing for Jesus. Wow. They could have easily had an attitude like, Lord, why'd you allow that to happen? No, indeed. They trusted God and said, we're going to trust him whether he allows us to die or not. Third chapter of the book of Daniel. But this is a picture of our life with Christ right here. Notice, what is it that God burned off? Remember it said not even one hair on their bodies was singed. This was a fire beyond description that they turned up seven times more than normal. And not one, even one, not only did they not burn to death and melt, which would be the natural thing, but God supernaturally protected them. You know, the only thing that was burned off of them was that which held them bound. Get that picture, man. That's a picture of Christ setting us free as we go through these fiery trials, as Peter talks about them, these scourgings, chastenings, child trainings. What does it do? We get set free, man. The truth, obeying the truth is what sets us free, not just the truth. But when you personally embrace it and say, God, I'm taking you at your word and I love you. I'm not in this to get anything from you other than to be in a love relationship with you. Good things are going to happen, man. Amen. You're seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these other blessed things are going to be added to you and you'll be dancing in the rain, man, when everybody else is afraid and fearing and, you know, seeing all the things that are happening in the world. And boy, they're not looking to Jesus. They're looking to the world instead of in the word. And the men's hearts are going to be failing them for fear, Luke 21. But you're saying and you're obeying Jesus who said, when you see all these things come to pass, man, get your head up. I'm coming back. Lift up your head and look up for your redemption. Draweth nigh. Amen. The king is coming, saints. Time to be joyful in Christ, man. The joy of the Lord is your strength, just like it was for the three Hebrew children and all the patriarchs of God, all of those known and unknown who trusted in God. Amen. They trusted in the Lord with all their heart. They didn't lean to their own understanding. In all their ways, they acknowledged him and he directed their paths. And now they're with him. I love what the psalmist said before we finish up in our passage there in Hebrews chapter 12. Notice this. Many of you may be familiar with this verse. What a blessed reminder of God's goodness. 73rd Psalm. How many people love the Psalm 73? Isn't that incredible? Listen to this beginning in verse 23. The psalmist said, nevertheless, I am continually with thee. Notice the loyalty, the love he had with God and God had with him. Notice the relationship here, man. Like a man and a woman who love each other and they're holding each other. They're holding hands and they're always happy to be together. Nevertheless, I am continually with thee. Thou hast holden me by my right hand. Don't you love that picture? Isn't that beautiful? The romance of God. Who do you think created romance? You guessed it. The one that created everything. It's all his idea, guys. It takes two to tango. Thou shalt guide me. Notice he's holding the hand of the psalmist. And this is in the Bible because he's holding the hand of every one of his children today. Amen. Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel and afterward on earth. See, that's a summation of our life on earth. God guiding his children and afterward receive me to glory. As one of the five wise virgins who not only got engaged to the bridegroom, Jesus, they got saved initially, but they stayed with him and he guided them. And now he's going to receive them to glory. Verse 24, verse 25, whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon earth 
that I desire beside thee. Is that what your heart is saying right now? That Jesus, I love you, and there's no one I love more than you. Amen. Then he says, verse 26, my flesh and my heart faileth. Amen. I'm weak in the flesh, Lord. I need you. My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Amen. Isn't that the summation in one Bible verse of the walk of the believer? Man, at times you just got to say, Jesus, I can't do this, but I know your grace is sufficient for me and your strength is made perfect in my weakness. So I celebrate you, Jesus. And I thank you for picking me back up here, filling me with your spirit afresh and the oil of your healing and presence and doing your work in me afresh, God. My flesh and my heart faileth. Jesus said the flesh is weak, right? The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. That's why we got to watch and pray so that we enter not into temptation. And we won't if we're watching and praying. We're full of the spirit like the five wise virgins having our vessels, our lives full of the spirit and the word of God. My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Notice this, for lo, they that are far from thee shall perish. Anybody listening here today that finds himself in a distant place like the prodigal son separated from the father that once saved them. I got good news for you. He's looking out over the horizon like the father of the prodigal son and desiring that you might return to him because he loves you. Just like many parents that may be listening here today, when your child is wayward and they call you up and you just tell them, baby, I don't care what you did. I love you, man. I just want you to come home where you belong. That's the love of the heavenly father. Although the father in, in Luke 15 and prodigal son, he didn't go running after his son, but that didn't mean he didn't desire him to come home. And when he came home, the Lord blessed him. The father blessed him, I should say, restored his righteousness, his authority and everything celebrated. Amen. Notice for lo, they that are far from thee shall perish. Those that die in sin, separated from God, in their relationship with God, are going to be in hell. They're going to perish. Make no mistake. There's no such thing as once saved, always saved. If you chose to not have a relationship with God on his terms, abiding with Jesus after he saved you, you're going to go to hell because you chose not to have a relationship with him. That's why people go to hell. Not because God didn't love them. He loves them unconditionally. Nothing could separate us from the love of God. Not didn't say the life of God. You see, again, it's another scripture people misuse. God will love you all the way to hell, man. You know that? He's not willing that you perish, but he will love you all the way to hell because he's not going to force you to come back to him. He's there for you. And he says, look, come unto me. Come back. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rep, man. I will bless you. But you got to come back. So for lo, verse 27, as we finish up this passage and bounce back to Hebrews 12, for lo, they that are far from thee shall perish. Thou hast destroyed all them that go a whoring from thee. There you go. One saved, always save eternal security again, dashed against the rocks as being false again. That he's going to destroy. God is unchanging. And you're more accountable, according to Hebrews 10 and 2 Peter 2, under the new covenant, now that Christ has come and shed his blood, than they were under the old covenant with Moses. You're more accountable, man. You're trampling underfoot the blood of the Son of God now. The blood of the Son does not cover you if you're not walking in the light as he is in the light. First John 1, 7, man, we've been deceived 
believed, many have, because they're not in the word for themselves and they're listening to these false teachers. Thou hast destroyed all them that go a-whoring from thee. Okay, just like the five foolish virgins were engaged to the great bridegroom, but then they went whoring. They were looking at other men. They were entertaining the advances of other suitors, if you will, and they were shut out of the eternal kingdom. God hasn't changed. I am the Lord, I change not. Malachi 3, 6, verse 28, but it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord that I may declare all thy works. Amen. That's what's happening in the life of those who are saved by grace, truly and abiding in Christ. They, they are his workmanship and he's working in and through them. They're working out, not for his salvation in them with fear and trembling. Verse 7 here, Hebrews 12, if ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. You're still his son if you endure it, not if you run from it. You go a whoring because you don't like his changes. You become stiffened in heart, stiff-necked, hardened in heart, and you don't want God's work in you. And what most people do is they adapt to some false theology like we're talking about here and cover themselves with that and say, oh, I'm saved no matter what. God is love. They ignore that God's also holy, holy, holy. And how many times did he say he's going to judge every man? And it begins at the house of God, 1 Peter 4, 17. So instead of them repenting and letting God do his work of sanctification in them, they don't want to change. We read that in what Psalm 55, 19, right? They don't want any change in them. They don't want to come to the light and remain in the light because they love darkness rather than light, right? Didn't we read that earlier in John 3, which we'll finish up with here in a minute, but notice, for what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? In other words, there's no such thing as a child of God who isn't going to be chastened by the Lord himself because he loves us. Remember, he's the potter and we're the clay, right? Jeremiah chapter 18, verse 6. So, but if ye be without chastisement, wherewith all are partakers, every Christian, every child of God is going to be chastised of the Lord, then are ye bastards and not sons. You're outside the fatherhood of God. He's no longer your father because you refused to be chastised by him. Furthermore, by the way, you did that to yourself. Furthermore, just like the prodigal son, he was away from the father and all. Listen, if you're out of Bible order, you're out of Bible blessings, man. You chose that just like the prodigal son, Luke 15. And then finally he came to himself. That doesn't mean everybody's going to come to themselves. The five foolish virgins didn't come to themselves. They didn't realize, man, what am I doing here and repent and come back? And they were shut out of the eternal bridal chamber. Furthermore, and we have many examples in scripture of that. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh, which corrected us and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the father of spirits and live? In other words, he's saying, look, man, remember when you had to submit to your dad's household rules and when you got out of line, he spanked you. Your daddy was loving. Remember that song, daddy's hand. Man, that'll make you cry, right? Daddy's hands, how they were so loving. But you didn't fear him because of his nature, but you feared that if you did something wrong and you knew it was wrong and it is wrong, daddy was going to, those hands were going to turn into a chastening tools of chastisement because he loves you. Any father that's not training his child up is absolutely, he needs to get saved. You're not saved if you're not chastening your son. Heathen fathers know better than that. You want to prepare your children to be able to handle the future. 
future. In the case of my brother and I, we went in the Marine Corps somewhat ready to go, man. Had a big, tough dad that was orderly and made us obey him. We understood what it is to be in subjection and obedient to authority. And we feared him in a good way. It's a blessing. Amen. And that's what God's saying here. You know, your dad chastened you. He's saying here in verse 9, shall we not much rather be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? I mean, he's reasoning with the people, with us. God is through this message here. You know, you obeyed your dad. Why not obey the Father in heaven so that you can be blessed? Verse 10, for they verily, the earthly fathers, for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure. But he, God, for our profit, whatever God's doing in your life is for your good and his glory. But he, God, chastens us for our profit that we might be partakers of his holiness. Remember, the Bible says, even though you're not going to hear from 99.9% of preachers, be ye holy for I am holy. First Peter 1, 15 and 16. I believe that's in the Old and the New Testament. I believe it's Leviticus. He took that from. Now, no chastening. See, God's goal in chastening you is what? That you might be partaker of his holiness. What is holiness? Set apart unto him. When you set apart unto him that is holy, 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 you're not going to have sin in your life. See, the Bible says, he that abideth in Christ sinneth not. First John 3, verse 5 and 6. If you got sin in your life, you're not properly abiding in Christ. And that's the red flag that's saying, get back to Jesus. Get alone with God and confess it. Ask him to take over afresh, man. How many times have we had to do that? It's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. Just say, Lord, right here, man, this is the first day of the rest of my life. I'm forgetting those things which are behind. I'm looking to you right now, Lord Jesus. I'm coming unto thee, Lord. I'm laboring and heavy laden. I don't know what's up here, Lord, but I keep stumbling, Lord. Have your way in me, Jesus. Let me be crucified with Christ. Anoint me, Lord, to the burial of self, that I might be dead and buried and hid with Christ in God, Lord Jesus. That's a good prayer right there, straight from your heart, beloved. Now, no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous. I mean, it's painful, isn't it, sometimes? Bible says the reproofs of instruction are the way of life. Wow. They're not going to end till we're with him, saints. I don't care if we grow to be 97 years old. God's still going to be keeping you in lot. Why? Because he loves you and he's holy, holy, holy. And he can't have you in his kingdom if you're not going to remain in him. Set apart to him. Be ye holy for I am holy. That's what he says. Now, no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth. What is the fruit of it? What does it produce? It yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them that are exercised thereby. Amen. So God's got special blessings for us if we'll just say, all right, Lord, help me, Jesus. Go on a fast, you know, let the flesh die so that Christ can reign. And that's really what the cross is, right? You basically say, Lord, I love you more than myself. And so I want you to reign in me. So I want to see this self-life get weak so that you're reigning in me. Amen. Let me re- read something I wrote this week. The Father sent the Son and the Son sent the Holy Spirit to empower you and I to be crucified with Christ, to empower us, yet yeah, to be crucified with Christ and raised up by Christ for his glory. Amen. That's what Romans 8, 11 through 13 talks about. It's by the Spirit that we're empowered, by the way. You're not alone in any of this. You weren't alone. You didn't find God. He found you. Nothing changes. He initiates and gives all of the divine heavenly resources if 
we yield ourselves to him. If not, then we don't get them. Romans 8, 11 through 13. But if the spirit, the Holy Spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken or make alive your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. Notice this, verse 13. For if you live after the flesh, you shall die. I want you to memorize that. If you live in sin, you're going to die spiritually, just like Adam and Eve found out, didn't they? God said, you shall surely die if you sin. Satan said, you shall not surely die. Who's lying, folks? That's what we should ask ourselves today concerning those that are teaching eternal security. They're teaching that if you sin, you're still okay with God, that he ceased to be holy, 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 so you're still okay. You shall not surely. That message was first preached in the Garden of Eden, and it led to the fall of mankind. God said you shall surely die, and when they sinned against him, the wages of sin is death, and it's still death. The soul that sinneth, it shall die, Ezekiel 18, 4, Romans 6, 23. And what happened to Adam and Eve when they sinned? God kept his word and ushered them right on out of his presence. They were in perfect communion and relationship with him until they sinned. God has not changed, folks. Doesn't matter if you believe it or not. You might find out the hard way, like millions who are already in hell, who Jesus saved, and they didn't remain in him like the five foolish virgins. Jesus said you can believe for a while and in temptation fall away. And see, that's what we just saw right there in Hebrews 12, that people that don't let God keep working in their lives and yield to it are going to be bastards. They're going to be outside of his kingdom outside of his fatherhood. Doesn't matter if you like it or not, that's what it is. If you live after the flesh, you shall die. But if ye through the Spirit, don't you love this? The Holy Spirit. Notice, through the Spirit. Have you caught that? If you through the Spirit, through the enabling power of the divine person of the Holy Ghost do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. See, we must become pliable in heart and yield to God. And as we do, the Holy Spirit's going to empower us to obey God. There's no excuse. There will be no excuse. Romans 1 20. All right. So Jesus said, John 3, 19 through 21. This is the condemnation that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. In other words, they didn't want to change like we read earlier in Psalm 55, 19. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth, are you a man of truth? Are you a woman of truth? He that doeth truth cometh to the light that his deeds may be made manifest that they are wrought in God. So, so many get saved and then they stop at some point because they don't stay with Christ. They don't stay in the word. They don't get in the word and stay in the word. You got saved, good, stay saved by abiding in Christ. We're kept by the power of God. Watch this. Through faith unto salvation. How are we kept? By the power of God. A lot of people will quote that, but then they miss the next part. Through faith. See, without faith, that's impossible possible to please him. God requires that you believe on him initially as you repent and put your faith in Christ and get saved and that you do such all the way to the end of your life. And in doing so, you're kept by his power through faith unto salvation. There's initial and final salvation taught in the Bible. By the way, that's first Peter chapter one, verse five. I want you to memorize that we're kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation. But because some love their darkness somewhere along the way, as after Jesus saves them, they continue to do evil. 
evil and refuse to repent, refuse to chasten the hand of God to purify them and set them apart. That means make them holy and they're done. You know, at some point, there's going to be a point of no return, probably. If not before, then as soon as they die, they're going to die separated from Christ, who is the light, and go straight to hell irrevocably. And it's going to be worse for them than if they had never known the way of righteousness. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 20 through 22. But a person that stays true to Christ, the bridegroom, like the wise virgin believers in Matthew 25, 1 through 13, they do the truth. They come to the light. They continue to come to the light. That's the inference here, that their deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. In other words, they just keep saying, Lord, I surrender. Wow. He gets into more and more depth of darkness in our lives, like healing an onion and continuing to do a deep work. And we just keep on saying, Lord, just keep on doing your work. Man, you're just making me freer and full of your love, joy, and peace even more, Jesus. I love you. Jesus, I love you. Like the song says, I love you. Amen. It just keeps on getting sweeter. All right, let's finish up here, man. You know, we're talking about choosing to fear the Lord. Notice what Proverbs 129 says. By the way, it's a choice. It it sure is. Choose you this day whom you will serve, right? Deuteronomy 30 verse 19, Joshua 24, 15. But notice Proverbs 129, for that they hated knowledge. That's those who departed from the Lord. They hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord. See, if you choose the fear of the Lord, you're going to be blessed to be having a clean heart. I believe it's Proverbs 19, 9. But it's a choice. Notice it's a choice. Nothing has changed. Notice actually a passage below I have here. There are those who love darkness rather than light because their own deeds are evil. And so they become hardened in heart through the deceitfulness of sin, according to Hebrews 3, 12 through 15. And ultimately they depart from the Lord, it says there. So to say you can't depart from the Lord is again refuted by scripture everywhere. And so they didn't choose the fear of the Lord. They didn't choose to continue to fear the Lord. The Bible says we're to behold, therefore, the goodness and the severity of God, just like we feared our dad's chastening hand. And as children, when we did things wrong, right, we should fear God that if we get outside of his will and do things in rebellion to him, then we're going to receive retribution. We're going to reap what we sowed. And the things we reap on this earth in this life are remedial judgments, if you will, the chastening, loving hand of God to bring us back to him and obedience to him. So we walk in the light as he is in the light and we have fellowship one with another. And as the blood of his son, Jesus Christ continues to cleanse us, you see, those who cover instead of confess their sins and bring their depraved hearts into the light to have them changed and cleansed by the Lord shall not prosper. Proverbs 28, 13, he that covereth his sin shall not prosper. At any time you start covering instead of confessing your sins and crying out to Jesus to change you, you're done, man. You get the stiff arm from God, whom the Lord loveth, he chastens, and he sets himself against those that have pride in their heart. James 4, 6 through 10. But whoso confesses, that is, their sins, and forsaketh their sin, them shall have mercy. You want the mercy of God? Just agree with him. Lord, I did this, and it was sin, and you said it's sin, so please forgive me, Lord. Give me grace. Change my life. Empower me by your grace and spirit, Lord, to overcome. Amen. That happens through the crucified life. So, in other words, their lives are 
are stifled. You know, they will not prosper. He that covers his sins shall not prosper. They're full of pride. And God resisteth the proud, right? But giveth grace unto the humble. There it is. That's a verse to memorize. We'll finish with that in a minute. Those who remain humble, teachable, correctable, rebukable, and obedient will receive divine mercy perpetually. Amen. What is that? Psalm 103, 11. The mercy of the Lord endures forever to who? To them that fear him. Isn't that interesting? Got to come clean with the Lord, saints, to be sanctified by Christ. One must repent and believe upon him as the Lord works in them. You see, we talk of justification and now sanctification begins immediately. As the Lord works in that life, he justified there on the basis of Christ's perfect sacrifice. There will be the response of honesty, humility, repentance, or humble repentance and a coming to the light continually. If not, judgment is going to be incurred. We're going to bring it upon ourselves. Notice Isaiah chapter one, and boy, he's talking about the sin of his people in this chapter. And then toward the end, he says this, come now, come back to me, man, and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as will. I just want to wash them all away. Amen. If you be willing, notice, if you be willing and obedient, wait a minute, what? Yeah, you got to be willing and obedient. God hadn't changed. You shall eat the good of the land. Man, I'm going to bless you. I am going to bless you if you're willing and obedient. But if you refuse, God leaves us with the decision. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. Devoured by the sword means you're going to receive the judgment of God. Before we finish up in James 4, as we close this message, I love this verse. Hadn't thought about it in a while. I've got it back on the top of the deck now, man, if you will. You know, we all have a Rolodex of scripture, right? Proverbs 22, 11, he that loveth pureness of heart for the grace of his lips, the king shall be his friend. Do we love pureness of heart? Jesus said again, blessed are who? The pure in heart. They're blessed. Only them. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. You can't have a relationship with God now forever in eternity if you don't love pureness of heart. That's what he loves. It doesn't matter that at your local church, nobody's talking about it. It doesn't matter. It's in the Bible. God said it. You have a Bible. You're fully responsible. Get in the word. And the more you get in the word, the less you're going to have in common with that which calls itself representative of Christ today in the modern church. He that loveth pureness of heart. By the way, start memorizing scripture. King James Bible. He that loveth pureness of heart for the grace of his lips. You see, because if you love pureness of heart, you're full of the grace of God in your heart. The king, those in leadership, are going to be your friend. God's going to use you to minister to them like we see throughout Scripture. So James chapter 4, as we close here, let's read verse 6 through 10. But he giveth more grace. God just wants to pour more and multiply his grace to us. But how is he going to do that if we won't humble ourselves? He won't. But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud. He sets himself against those that are prideful and no longer want him working in their life. They want to relish their darkness and hide and stay in it. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. How many people want more grace? Second Peter talks in the beginning and the end of that three chapter book about being multiplied in the grace of God. The, the grace of God, First Peter 4, 10 and 11 is manifold. There's so many fascinating facts to it. And so we definitely want to ask
ask God to multiply it to us. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. Who does God give grace to? The humble. Are you humble today? Doesn't matter if you were humble in the past. I mean, it does, but it doesn't. God looks at your present state, Ezekiel 33, 12, and 13. Are you walking with him? The good news is that you can be. Just return to him with words. Come before him in repentance and confess your sins and let him wash them all away instantly and fill you with his spirit again and bless your life. Amen. This is the first day of the rest of your life and it's no better way to spend it than at the feet of Jesus talking to the Savior. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil. The only way you're going to resist the devil and overcome him and that he's going to flee from you is to submit yourself to God. Why? Well, because you're no match for the devil. Notice, I believe it's Jude 1, 9, I believe it is. Even Michael the archangel didn't say, I rebuke you. He said, the Lord rebuke you. See, there's authority in Christ. And when you're in Christ, you're submitted to him, truly submitted to him. You're going to be able to resist the devil and he's going to flee from you. See, that's the whole foundation and root of this whole issue is submitting to God. When you submit to God, somebody might be saying, brother, you don't know how long I've struggled with the sin. I can tell you because I live in the flesh too, that God can vanquish that sin and even the temptation of it. You got to get crucified with Christ. You got to cry out to God and get the cross at the center of your life. Amen. We got a lot of stuff on that on safeguardyoursoul.com. Just look up daily cross category or put in safeguardyoursoul.com forward slash daily dash cross. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. He has to. He has no legal right anymore because you have no sin in your life. That doesn't mean you haven't sinned, but all of that's washed away. It's all vanquished because now you're under the blood. The only way you're going to be under the blood is to submit to Christ afresh. A lot of people have this false picture of salvation that once you get saved, God sees everything you do, even your willful disobedience through the blood of Christ. That is a lie, folks. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. The grace of God, the blood of Christ does not cover you while you're living in sin. You know, the Bible even says that straight out there, beginning in verse 26 of Hebrews, you know, let's see, 1026, right? Remember that? If we sin willfully, you're knowingly living in sin and acting like God's covering you. No, he's not. You're a rebel, man. You need to come back to the Lord. He that abideth in him sinneth not. First John 3, 5 and 6, quote, unquote, he that abideth in Christ, and that's the only way you can be saved, sinneth not. Jesus said, if you don't abide in him, you're going to be cast into the fire. John 15, 6, you're going to hell. Return to him. That's all. For if we sin willfully, after that we have received the knowledge of the truth, there remaineth no more sacrifice for sins. God's not covering you. The sacrifice of Christ, the perfect sacrifice, is no longer being appropriated by you because you are sinning willfully. But a certain fearful looking for of judgment and fiery indignation, which shall devour the adversaries. Do you want to be on that end of God's judgment? I don't. He that despised Moses' law. Now he's comparing the Old and New Testament. Watch this. For he that despised the law of Moses, Moses' law, died without mercy. Huh? His own covenant people. At one point in the 16th chapter of Numbers, he opened the ground and swallowed a few thousand of them up and went straight to the fires of eternal damnation. And you're going there too if you don't submit to God. Only you can decide. He that despised Moses' law died without mercy, without mercy under two or three witnesses. Now watch this. Of how much sorer, more severe punishment suppose ye, shall he be thought worthy who hath trodden underfoot the Son of God. That means he got saved under the new covenant after Jesus came and shed his blood and hath counted the blood of the covenant wherewith he was previously sanctified an unholy thing and hath done despite unto the spirit the holy spirit of grace for we know him that hath said vengeance belongeth unto me 
I will recompense, saith the Lord, and again the Lord shall judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Some people are so snakish, so dishonest and evil, they want to say, oh, uh, the book of Hebrews was written to the Hebrew Christians. Oh, I'm sorry. There's two different kingdoms and two different gospels. You're a liar. You're a curse because there's only one gospel. And anybody says that there's another gospel is accursed. Galatians 1. By the way, he says in chapter 3, verse 1, that he's addressing holy brethren. We're all one in Christ. There is no Jew and Gentile in justification in Christ. Ephesians 2, Galatians, everywhere in the New Testament. But these guys are willing to just mangle scripture to cover themselves and behind this thin veneer of rebellion they hide behind in this little eternal security heresy. So notice, submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God. Is God calling you to draw close to him? And he will draw nigh to you. Amen. And nothing's impossible with the Lord. When he comes into your life, everything changes. Are you willing to say, Lord, I'm going to draw nigh to you, and I know you're going to draw nigh to me as I do. Cleanse your hands, he says, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. Amen, friend. Take it to Jesus. Anything you're struggling with and just lay it at his feet. Get before him alone and cry out to him, man. He's waiting on you. He loves you so much. And he's saying, come unto me. I know you're laboring and heavy laden, but I'm going to give you rest, man. Just come on up to daddy's lap. Let's talk about these things and I'm going to make you free. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. Well, brothers and sisters, it's been a blessing to spend these moments with you in the Word of God. And remember, there's hundreds of more Christ-centered, Scripture-rich, edifying podcasts on safeguardyoursoul.com forward slash audios. There's also a store page with several, many books on there for your edification in Christ. They're all Scripture-rich and Christ-centered. Also, tens of thousands of saints and sinners are being reached every month, and you're prayers are coveted for the fruitfulness and supply of this outreach. God be praised, by the way, for those who are supporting. And feel free to visit our donate page on the site. And you can use your debit card, PayPal, or Patreon. And you can become a monthly sustaining member if you choose to do so. And a gift of any amount is so appreciated. Part of this outreach is to equip and supply other ministering disciples across our great country and all over the world. And may God be praised that there's fruitfulness happening among his people and through his beloved saints as we know that the return of our Lord Jesus Christ draws nigh. And we say together in the words of Revelation 22, even so, come Lord Jesus. Amen. 